Hello and welcome to Better at Work, the podcast that will inspire you to achieve betterness in your working life. Discover how to navigate the pitfalls, challenges and work jerkery that may be getting in your way. Learn how simple changes, being authentic and even using humor can be game-changing. I'm your host, Carl Quinlan. I've spent 20 years helping people and global organizations to be better. And now I'm here to share my practical tips and real-life stories with you, as well as insights from my conversations with some incredible people. So join me as we explore how we can all be better at work. Because when work is better, life is better. Hello and welcome to Better at Work. Now, this week I am very excited to be joined by the best-selling author, Mamie Stewart. Now, Mamie is the author of Momentum, Creating Effective, Engaging and Enjoyable Meetings. Her company, Meteor, aims to help people individually and collectively work smarter and happier. She's also an executive coach focusing on management skills that build thriving and inclusive teams. And when she's not writing best-selling books or coaching teams, she's hosting her own podcast, which is fantastic. You got to look it up, the Modern Manager podcast. And Mamie is coming to us today from New York, right, Mamie? That's right. From Brooklyn. Yay. Welcome to Better at Work. Thank you so much for having me, Kahal. How did you become so interested in helping people have better meetings? What happened in your childhood? What the hell? Did you go to bad meetings? Not exactly. It was actually the opposite. I went to a lot of really great meetings out of college. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And so I was lucky enough to come from a family business where I had a chance to do some work. And while I kind of figured out the bigger picture... And it was amazing. I was exposed to all kinds of business practices, including really amazing meetings. And then when I kind of flew the nest and went out and got a job at a nonprofit, I was shocked by how horrible the meetings were. I had never experienced this kind of like boring, unproductive, wandering conversations with no clear outcomes. And I leave and I feel like, what just happened there? And it sparked something. I was like, oh, the meetings that we had in our business that didn't feel like rocket science. It didn't feel like something that was so hard to do. It feels like meetings could be something that everyone could do more effectively. So I started talking to people out in the world and asking them about their meetings. And universally, as you can probably imagine, people responded with, oh my gosh, let me tell you about this horrible meeting I went to today. Or, oh, I sat through the worst meeting yesterday morning. Everyone had a story and not just like, oh, one time, a long time ago. It was so present for people how terrible their meetings were. I said, oh, I think I can do something about this. So many people, so many of our guests, our listeners talk to us all the time about meetings and say, oh, my God, it was a disaster. This day I just spent in back to backs. How many times have you heard I've been back to back? Yes, especially now with Zoom and all these virtual meetings, we schedule ourselves right up until the very last second and there's no time to even just go fill up your water glass or use the restroom or anything else or just all day long back-to-back meetings. I have worked with a lot of different teams and and a few different companies over the years. And I always get a sense of a culture from how they run their meetings, which I know you have also spoken about and you have specifically said meetings are a reflection 
of your culture and your team dynamics. And I have to say, when I heard you say that, I immediately want you on the show. I couldn't agree more with that statement. Please tell us a little bit more on why you believe meetings are a reflection of culture. So to me, meetings are where all of these different dynamics play out, whether or not people come prepared, whether or not the meeting leader can show respect to their team member about how they're using their time and organizing a meeting, whether people feel safe to share their ideas and disagree with each other and speak up, who gets to be at the table even or in the virtual room to participate in the meeting. All of those components reflect something deeper that's going on in your organization, whether people respect each other, whether they feel psychologically safe, whether they know how to put efficiency and effectiveness into practice. And if your meetings are all over the place and not a good use of people's time and nobody really wants to engage in conversation, it's probably a reflection of of a culture that is somewhat disorganized where people don't feel like they have the room to show up as their whole selves and to speak their minds and to engage deeply and where things are kind of all, again, all over the place. So when we look at our meetings, it's not only the reflection, but it's also a great place to start to make change because it's a contained space that everybody is experiencing in one way or another. So if you want to change your culture, I always think one of the best places to start is changing your meeting. 100% agree with you. Any team I've ever gone into, the meetings are the first place I usually go a little bit wild on. Even if you go in and you go, where's the agenda? Oh, no, we don't normally do agendas. This is a free-for-all chat. I'm like going, okay, I'm just going to spend two hours here for a free-for-all chat. No, we got to have some structure. I think you can have those free-for-all chats, but let's classify them as a free-for-all chat. (laughs) Let's not classify it as a meeting. I have gone into teams and it's actually the first thing I do is kind of do an audit or a current state assessment Mm -hmm. of where our meetings are at. Usually I do it with like some of the leadership team. I go, right, what what meetings are we in? What are we doing? How are they set up? And it makes such a big difference really quickly. Have you heard of Professor Gushal? Not sure. Tell me more. So he famously talked about the smell of this place many years ago at the World Economic Forum. He's sadly dead now. His speech is so famous and he shares a metaphor. He himself is from India. And when he goes home to Calcutta in the summer, he feels really tired as it's super hot and humid and it costs him energy. And he compares it to this place called Fontainebleau in France, where he was living. And he says that when he goes out there in spring, he wants to walk, he wants to jump, he's got so much energy. So when he looks at a company, he asks, is the culture Calcutta in the summertime or Fontainebleau in the spring? Do you have an environment of energy or one of heaviness and pressure? Love that metaphor. You got to watch his YouTube. I used to think about him a lot in terms of meetings because he talks about the smell of the place. I go, the smell of these meetings is going to tell me what's going wrong. That's so fun. And it's so true that the first place to start to make any changes is to figure out what's underlying here, what's happening, what where we are in our current state, so we can figure out mm-hmm. what kind of changes we need to make. And even for organizations, as you probably experienced yourself, that are doing really well with their meetings, it's usually not universal. 
It's like manager by manager. This person's really good at it. They either intuitively know what they're doing and they have created that beautiful springtime atmosphere or someone who had a really good role model. So they got to follow. But rarely is it consistent across teams, across departments, across a company. Even if you're good at meetings, which I think I'm not bad, but you can always be better. They can get stale. Things move on. You got to review them, improve them constantly. Absolutely. Just like any other business process, you want to keep it fresh. And you have different kinds of meetings that need different kinds of cadences. You have different team members who come in and out. And so therefore, you might need to make some changes based on who is participating and what kind of needs they have to be able to fully engage. There's lots of reasons to keep revisiting. And the worst reason to have meetings and to keep going with them is just because they're on the calendar. Don't you just hate when I go into a team and they tell me that I'm like going, no, your book, Momentum, you start with an overview of the problems with meetings, right? And I love it. You go, why are they consistently so bad? What's the real cost of unhealthy meeting cultures? Can we start there? Because I think we we could explore that a little bit more, right? You know, what are the problems with them? Because I think it does kill people's energy, these meetings that are bad. Yeah, you know, I think it's one of those situations where at least when I started this business and I started this work, most people felt like bad meetings were just the cost of doing business. That's how collaboration had to happen. And so you just had to have some bad meetings sometimes and we all just need to learn to live with it. And I don't buy that. I didn't buy it then. And I think now fewer and fewer people are willing to accept that bad meetings are just part of business because we know now what to do to have good meetings and to have productive and engaging meetings. But at the time, it was important to me to help people understand just an hour of a bad meeting wasn't actually just an hour of a bad meeting. It was also the lost opportunity of that time of what people could have been doing if they were not in that meeting. It's also the drain on energy that they feel when they leave that meeting that's now going to make them slower and less engaged in whatever it is they're going to do next. It's also that feeling that you get overall after compounding many bad meetings of feeling like you're not being respected, that you're not particularly enjoying your job here, that can lead to other bigger picture things like more turnover or lack of trust or other kinds of factors. And when we play all of that together... Suddenly now we see, oh, one bad meeting isn't just one bad meeting, right? One bad meeting as part of a system of bad meetings is actually a major business problem that managers and leaders need to take seriously. You know, I sound very excited on this episode and I know the guys on my team are going to be like, oh, my God. Part of the reason I left one of the jobs was I couldn't take the meetings anymore. I just was like this whole constant meetings, people talking over each other. You just felt like you were in a washing machine all day long, just like tur- yeah. <laughs> going round and round and round. And you're like going, can I just stop this washing machine off? This spin cycle is not stopping. Exactly. And I heard the exact same thing from my clients. I don't know if you've heard of Tom Peters. He says, the only thing on earth that never lies to you is your calendar. The reality is that effective meetings and good time management exist in a virtuous circle. Good time management means you feel empowered to turn down unnecessary meeting and better meetings mean you spend the rest of your time feeling more purposeful in carrying out your work. 
I love that. I think that is totally spot on. And it drives me crazy that the only acceptable reason to say no to a meeting is because you're already booked in another meeting. That's not the right way to live our lives by our calendars, given how important our time is. Oh, well, I got this calendar invite first, so I guess I can't go to this meeting. And oh, I got a calendar invite. I got nothing on my calendar. I guess I should say yes. No, that is not okay. And there are easy ways to say no. I know there's a lot of fear around saying no. Mm -hmm. We have FOMO. We call it meeting FOMO is a real thing. We have to learn to take control of our calendars and you don't have to accept every single meeting that comes into your inbox or onto your calendar invites. You can say no, or you can even do the first step, which is just asking a meeting leader, hey, what is this meeting about? What do you hope to Mm -hmm. accomplish? What do you hope I'll contribute? And if you ask specifically the two last questions of what will this meeting accomplish or what do you hope it will accomplish and what do you hope I'll contribute? you can get a really good sense of whether that meeting is a good use of your time or not. I don't know if you saw, a recent study just came out. It was the Work Trend Index Survey. I literally only found it a few days ago, and it was conducted by an independent research firm, Edelman Data X Intelligence, among about 31,000 full-time employees. And it was just between February of this year and March of 2023. And what they found was that we're all carrying this digital debt The inflow of data, emails, meetings and notifications has outpaced humans' ability to process it all. And the pace of work is only intensifying. Everything feels important. So we spend our workdays trying to get out of the red. And this is some of the data I thought was interesting. Nearly two in three people, that's 64%, say they struggle with having the time and energy to do their job. And they also mention your favorite topic, meetings, hours worked, workday span and the time spent in meetings have steadily increased over the last few years, it's easier than ever to communicate and harder than ever to keep up. And 68% of people say they don't have enough uninterrupted focus time during the workday. The data shows a clear need to make meetings better. Today, only one in three people, 35%, think they would be missed in the majority of their meetings. What do you think of that one? Had you heard of that data that just came out? I have not heard of this particular study, but I'm so glad that you brought it to my attention because it not, it actually reflects the exact same thing that I'm hearing when I talk to people about their meetings. That so often, you know, the the concept or the meme of, oh, it could have been an email. That is true a lot of times, but also the meeting was a good meeting. I just didn't need to be in the meeting. That's also can be true where it's not that it was a bad meeting. It's that it was a bad meeting for me because I shouldn't have been invited and I didn't feel empowered to say no. So therefore, exactly. I wasted my time in this meeting. In the book, you go deep into practices, approaches and tools to support us having more worthwhile meetings. Where should we begin, Mamie? Someone's listening and they're like going, I don't know where to start, right? So Carl has given me all this data and he's given me quotes from Tom, Dick and Harry. Where do I bloody begin? All right. So the number one thing that everyone should do for every meeting that you are going to have that you are leading is to figure out What is your desired outcome? This is like the first step. Even if you don't assess your meetings to identify what the key issues are, don't even worry about that. Just start with what is the meeting's desired outcome? And a desired outcome is the actual outcome you are aiming to achieve in that meeting. So it is not a verb. It is not 
a discussion of topic X. It is not an exploration of idea Y. It is not a brainstorm or reviewing something. It is an outcome. It's a noun. It's an accomplishment of what you're going to achieve. So when you think about this as, oh, at the end of the meeting, we're going to have a decision on which vendor to go forward with. We are going to have learned from this customer what their key needs are. We are going to have clear alignment that we're all on the same page about the problem so that we can figure out then what the solutions are. When you start with your desired outcome, one, you suddenly eliminate a whole bunch of meetings that were, as we started, the just talk meetings, the like, we're going to get here and we're going to have a nice conversation. Because when you leave the room after a nice conversation, Maybe you feel great. Maybe you're like, oh, wow, my brain just got stretched and that was so energizing, but you didn't necessarily accomplish anything. And you could just as easily walk away feeling like, oh my gosh, we just had two hours of talk and this was so boring. And I'm so glad I could multitask at the same time. And I think nobody noticed. Like also not a good use of those that time. So when you start with your desired outcome, you quickly hone in on how is this time going to be productive so that we move our work forward? And then everything else falls in place from that. Then you can figure out what do we need to do during this time in order to get to that outcome? Who needs to be there in the room in order to get to that outcome? Who doesn't need to be in that room? But maybe I need to check in with beforehand to get some information or get pre-approval. Who needs to be informed after? They don't need to be in the conversation, but they need to know what's going on. So I got to make sure that we take good notes so I can share that information with them after the meeting. But I'm not going to waste their time by inviting them. So you start to really flesh out the rest of what makes a good meeting by simply identifying what is the desired outcome. I have been to meetings and actually I've even gone to one-to-ones where someone set up a meeting with me in the various banks I've worked with and there's no agenda. There's, you know, and sometimes the conversation might start a little bit like awkward. I'm like, going, okay, uh, what are we here for? Blah, blah, blah. And they don't say anything. And I often used to ask the question, What does success look like by the end of this meeting? Yes. I used to get these meetings done in 10 minutes because like I didn't get the whole preamble. They'd go like, success by the end of this is that you will sign off that we can go ahead with this project. Oh, easy. Okay. Well, I've actually got most of the details. I just don't know about what happened with credit. Did they approve blah? (gasps) Yeah, they did. Oh, okay. Well, I'm happy then. Goodbye. Not rocket science, right? Exactly. That's the thing about meeting practices is they're not rocket science. These are just small little shifts to how we think and how we spend our time before a meeting and during meeting and after meeting that can have huge impact and anyone can do them, even if you're not the meeting leader, right? We started talking earlier about if you get a calendar invite and you're not sure what this meeting is meant to accomplish or why you've been invited, you can ask. And when you ask, what do you hope this meeting will achieve or what does success look like for this meeting to use your language? you get the answer of a desired outcome. And if they come back and say, well, this meeting's to review, you know, last quarter's finances and great, okay. And at the end of the meeting, what do you hope we'll have? Just keep asking until you get to that desired outcome so that you know you're not just going into a nice conversation, but you're actually driving towards an outcome. I think chairing meetings is very important. And I actually do love chairing meetings. I find it really enjoyable. So you can kind of hear from everyone, make sure that you're getting to the outcome. How do you think people that chair meetings, how can they do it inclusively for the different personalities and thinking that might come about in a meeting? Inclusive meetings and inclusive meeting practices 
is like a whole topic in and of itself because there's so many different dimensions to it. So I'll name just a couple that I think are probably most common and easiest to address. So the first is the introvert-extrovert spectrum, that some folks, they like to talk, they talk, they think their ideas out by talking, so they take up a lot of airspace. And some of these folks don't even realize that they're doing it. It's so innate to how they show up as a person, they don't realize that they're hogging the mic. And so for these folks, sometimes a simple side conversation outside of the meeting to say, hey, I don't know if you realize this, but in the last couple of meetings, I've noticed that you tend to talk quite a bit and some of the other folks in the meeting don't tend to talk quite as much. I'm wondering, you know, would it be possible for you to try to hold back a little and create a little more space? Because I want to try to create an environment where there's a little more open room for everyone to share. And of course, I want to hear your ideas. So if you have thoughts after the meeting that you didn't get to share in the meeting because you were holding back, let's just grab a couple minutes afterwards. Like Grab 10 minutes on my calendar because I definitely don't want to lose out on your thinking. And by letting the person know that you value their thinking, this is not about trying to shut them up, but this is, I want to make space for others. You're giving them an opportunity to start to self-regulate because that's really what you want them to do is to be able to recognize their own behavior hold back, give space for others. And then, of course, if they have thoughts, they can email you afterwards or they can grab you in the hall or schedule 10 minutes on your calendar to share their other ideas. And let me tell you, most of the time, people don't actually do that. They just love knowing they have the option of doing that. Yes. All right. So that's the introvert side. Let's talk about the, that's the extrovert side. Let's talk a little about the introvert side. And of course, it's a spectrum. It's not, not a black and white thing, but for introverts, they often want to have information ahead of time so they can process it and come and form their conclusions so that when they show up in the meeting, they're ready to share. They've already done their thinking and are now ready to communicate in whole concepts. They are very uncomfortable generally, especially extreme, with talking on their feet. They want to fully form their ideas in their brain and then share them. So if you're presenting information in a meeting and then asking people for feedback, they don't have the processing time that they really would like or, quote, need to get to their best thinking, to get to their best reactions and their best ideas. So if you can send the materials ahead of time, and you should do this for your whole team, if you can send those materials as pre-work, give people time to process, then when they show up in the meeting, the introverts, again, will naturally feel more comfortable speaking up. And so you won't have to be pulling you know, stuff out of them because they'll have done their processing and feel more confident and prepared. So those are two small things you can do to just work with people's natural way of working already. Another dimension to this is around psychological safety and creating inclusive meetings in a way that people feel comfortable sharing the little thoughts in the back of their mind that want to share that they disagree or it's a dissenting viewpoint or it's you know going against the boss or whatever else that they see problems, everybody's like, oh, this is so exciting. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a terrible idea. But I can't say that because everyone's excited. And I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to rain on the parade. Right? All those little thoughts that can happen or any other kind of thinking that for whatever reason, you just don't feel safe to share. We want to create environments where everyone feels like they can speak up. They can speak their truth. They can speak to power. It doesn't matter who's there. We all have equal voice. That doesn't necessarily mean we have equal decision-making authority, but we all have equal ability to contribute and equal value to contribute. So in these cases, there are a couple different things you can do. 
one of my favorites is really taking advantage of online tools. It's one of those things now we have great meeting capabilities online, whether you're using Zoom or Microsoft Teams or anything else. Take advantage of all the other things you can do online at the same time with whiteboards and sticky notes and polls. All of those tools create opportunities for people to give anonymous input. Also, they make it more fun because you're not just staring at a screen. You're actually getting to engage and type and move things around and color code and vote and all that cool stuff that comes with it. And when you do that, it does a couple things. So first, as I just said, it makes it more fun. It makes it more engaging. So you get the likelihood that people will contribute goes up because you're giving space for everyone to engage. Secondly, you've now optimized how you're using your time. Because when we speak, only one person can speak at a time. So if there are 10 of us in an hour-long meeting, maybe if you're super optimized, each person's going to get, what, five minutes of that time? That's not very much time for me to share my thoughts. Five minutes? Ugh. But if I have those same 10 people and we are doing some sort of digital information giving, if I'm rating things or giving feedback on a poll or putting ideas into sticky notes on a whiteboard, now you can get 30 minutes of each person's time all at the same time. So you just get way more thinking in there. And then thirdly is you create that anonymous safety net where people feel like I can say something here because it's not going to come back to bite me. No one's going to judge me for this thought. No one is going to give me a weird look. I'm not going to have to wonder in the hallways later if so-and-so didn't wave at me because they didn't like that I disagreed with their idea. You create opportunity for people to say the things. And when you have that, when people all put in their ideas and you see that someone put some criticisms as the meeting leader, as the chair, when you say, I'm so glad someone said that, you start to shift the dynamic that maybe that person will speak up in a conversation in the future. And you won't have to rely on anonymous tools, but you'll actually get people to feel like they can speak their full minds. So you can use those tools also to foster more engagement when you're not relying on those tools. And then the last thing I'll say, which I don't want to go into at the moment because it'll take us a whole nother show also, is around identity dynamics. Because another piece of inclusive meetings comes through who are the people there? And where are there differences in gender, in race or ethnicity, in age, in power? All of those other pieces of who we are play into whether or not you feel safe, whether or not the way that you share your ideas gets accepted or pushed aside. And that's a whole other piece that takes a lot of work to create the environment where not just you as the leader, but the whole team can truly embrace the differences in the room and bring that together in a super inclusive way. I think it just shows us all how difficult this whole area is, right? We all need a Mamie probably in our company to help sort these meetings out. But, you know, you've given us so much there. Introverts versus extroverts potentially in meetings, psychological safety. There is so much to think about as that chair of a meeting. You have such a critical role. It's almost like I always say the leadership role in any organization or the manager, whatever you want to call it, that level is always so important because they cast a big shadow. And I think as a chair of a meeting, you've got to understand that you also cast a shadow. Do you have favorites? Is there a bulldozer in the meeting that you allow to just go crazy in every meeting? And that means no one can get a word in or they can't get their ideas up because someone is a bulldozer. I have worked in some organizations where these bulldozers just 
take over. And if the chair does not allow for others, as you said, psychologically safe environment for people to go against that, even if it is a different level, etc., I think you're in a dangerous spot. A lot of organizations think a lot now about what are their uh, behaviors? Are those behaviors aligned with the organization? And sometimes I think in meetings, you go, I think if the CEO saw some of these behaviors or shareholders, they might go, mm, what you've got on your purpose as an organization is very different to the smell of these meetings. Yes, exactly. Exactly what we were just talking about in the very, very beginning around your meetings are a reflection of your culture. And so exactly. they're where the real stuff plays out. And I have to say that there's often concern that people feel intuitively when they have to interrupt someone and like shut down a bulldozer or the conversation is kind of wandered off track and they're trying to get it back on track and they don't want to interrupt and they don't want to make people feel bad. But the reality is that everyone else in that conversation is looking at you as the meeting leader saying you're not showing up in the way that you should be right now to take control of this conversation. So while you're worried about making these people over here feel bad for interrupting them or shutting them down, what you really should be worried about is that you're not showing up like a leader in this moment in the way that you should be because everybody else is recognizing it. And there are some simple tools. Again, I love the like simple, practical ways that we can redirect conversations. We can shut down conversations that are not useful. And I often love it using questions because questions open people up as opposed to direct people and shut them down. So when you ask someone who's been going on for a while, oh, hey, maybe that's like, I'm sorry to interrupt. I really love what you're saying, but I'm wondering if you if you could wrap it up another minute because you only have a few minutes left and I want to make sure we hear from other people. So you were saying, hey, is it okay? Can you just, can you bring this to some conclusion so we can hear from other folks? Or when you start a new topic, say, I'd love to hear from people who haven't shared yet. Is there anyone who hasn't yet spoken who wants to kick this off? Right. Again, opening it up with a question. And if people are going off on a tangent and you're like, oh, this doesn't feel relevant to our meeting anymore because I know what our desired outcome is. Going back to that number one thing, if I know what our desired outcome is and I know that this conversation doesn't quite relate, I can just interrupt and say, oh, I'm so sorry for interrupting. I'm just having a hard time connecting how this conversation is going to get us desired outcome. So can you either help me make that connection because maybe I'm missing something Or can we put a pin on this and we'll follow up with this in a later meeting? And then maybe you did miss something. Maybe they're like, oh, this is actually super relevant. We have to nail this down before. And you go, oh, great. Thank you for helping connect that to me for me. And now I know we need to finish this conversation. Or, oh, yeah, that doesn't really connect to our desired outcome for today. So sure, let's make it as a next step to follow up on this topic. And we'll go back to our regularly scheduled agenda. Now, we're all about being better at work. What's the smallest possible change our lovely listeners could do to have an impact and a better day at work tomorrow. All right. So normally I would say write a desired outcome for your next meeting. But because we talked about that so much already, I will say something else. The thing I will say is the next time you get a calendar invite, before you accept it, try to identify what the desired outcome is. And if you don't know, ask. Love that. That is an invitation to all of our listeners to feel empowered to ask that question. And I've heard you talk about this in another show. You know, it actually can help the manager at times to go, oh, God, I've called that meeting and actually I've probably got a thought in my head and they have no idea. So actually, I'm glad that Mamie asked that question because now maybe I don't need to invite all of them. I actually should only invite my leadership team. 
Exactly. You can be the spark for someone else to get them to do that thinking because you listen to the show. You have done this learning. Not everyone has. So you can take it and you can help sprinkle that good intention across the team. See, Mamie, I'm a super fan. (laughs) No, I'm serious. Your stuff is so good. And I just think it's great. It's so simple. Can you share with our listeners something you learned or experienced at work that unexpectedly has made your whole life better? I learned that people sometimes just want to be heard. And this was something related to meetings also, because I can have a tendency sometimes to just want to get to the outcome because we're already in agreement. So let's just call it done. But sometimes people still want to have their chance to say, yeah, I like this and here's why. And they want to share their thoughts and they want to feel like they're part of the decision. So you have to slow down and give people the space to just be heard. And what I discovered was when I do that with my children, it's amazing how they will totally agree with me. But if I tell them this is what we're doing, they will fight with me for hours. But if I can just say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. What do you think? Even though the decision's already been made, suddenly they feel part of it and they feel heard. And sometimes we tweak their decision so that it does actually include them. And sometimes we don't need to because they actually totally agree. So giving people space to be part of the conversation and helping them feel heard, transformative. I really like that tip, uh, Mamie, and great that you learned that through work and were able to bring it into life. I have to say, I feel very similar. I think sometimes your strengths can be your weaknesses, because I think my strength is I am quite execution focused. Boom, 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 boom. And sometimes you do have to let others come on the journey or make at least make them feel like they've been heard, as you said. And actually, sometimes I've learned myself, damn, I'm glad I took that little step back because what Louise or Claire or Peter said actually has changed. This would change the way we might go forward. Now we finish all interviews with the following question. Can you recall the best advice you've received that's made you better at work? This one is tricky. Recently, I was reflecting on this because I was asked to speak about a big mistake that I had made. And so when I was reflecting on all my mistakes (laughs) over time, one of the the pieces of advice kind of popped back into my head. And I feel like that's, that's the relevant one I'll share now, which is when you're not making a decision, you're making a decision by default. When we sit in the place of indecision and we're weighing our options and we're thinking things through and we're strategizing, what we're actually doing is saying no to this option or we're delaying in such a way that that delay actually is a decision. And there are many, many times where we are waiting for more information and waiting for things to be perfect and waiting to get the last stuff in. And by waiting and waiting and waiting, we're actually making a decision to not move forward. And we need to really understand the costs of not making decisions because they can lead to all kinds of other problems down the road. Love that. And thank you for being so honest about that. I mean, yeah, I think uh, we can all be a bit like that, I certainly can as well and want lots of information before making a decision. Someone said to me one time, you know, if you're too slow, sometimes with decisions, the opportunity is gone. And I love the phrase, the opportunity of a lifetime is only available for the lifetime of the opportunity. Yes. Oh, so clever and so true. Isn't it? I'm similar. I can sometimes go, ooh, but yeah, just make the decision. Yeah, just make it and go. You'll save yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of headache and a lot of stress and your team members too, who are counting on you and waiting for you. 
say, we're doing it or we're not, but we're not spending any more time thinking about it. Exactly. Analysis paralysis. Mamie, thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you so much for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I have loved it. You are so good and you are so great on a podcast. You know, you've got such a lovely energy in it. I know our listeners are going to love this episode. And listeners, if you want more information on the amazing Mamie, go to www.mamieks.com. And there you will find out more on Mamie's amazing book, Momentum, her coaching, and of course, her podcast, The Modern Manager Podcast. And you can tell she's an amazing presenter because look at the way she's been on this show. So you'll enjoy that. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Mamie. We'll hopefully get you back again soon. I would love that. Welcome to Let's Take This Offline. Hi, Annette. Welcome to Let's Take This Offline. So lovely to see you and hear from you again. Hi, Kahal. So good to be here and looking forward to Let's Take This Offline. What a great chat I just had there with the amazing Mamie. Now, as you know, Annette, meetings are so foundational. I mean, they take up so much of our time. It's one of the areas I make my best start when I get into a new team and really look at how are the meetings run, who's got the decision making rights and is there clarity at the end of each meeting on who's doing what by when. And that's why I really wanted Mamie on. Kahal, I learned so much. Huge insights from Mamie, her research and also where it all started for her. We spend our days in meetings. It's a huge part of our days. And so I'm now thinking when meetings are better, life is better. (laughs) So (laughs) the opportunities that are listening to you and Mamie talk that have been sparked in me, so many things that I want to try and I know that I can get better at and really make a difference, being more deliberate in how I think about meetings. And if I jump into the takeaways They do flow about setting, preparing for the meeting, being in the meeting, and then how to turn things around. The first one for me was being very clear on the desired outcome for your meeting. And if you're not compelled or energized or enthused by that outcome, to keep going deeper, to get to the real purpose and what you really want to achieve in that meeting, to keep exploring. I love the guidance on it being around a decision on, a list of clear alignment regarding, having that really specific and everyone agreed and aligned and sharing that at the meeting, making sure everyone's on the same page. Linked to that, I loved Mamie's challenge for us all around before we accept the next meeting into our diaries to ask ourselves, are you clear on the desired outcome of that meeting? And if not, take a deep breath and go and ask and understand for that meeting, what is that meeting going to accomplish and what is my role in it? I think, Annette, you've hit the nail on the head there. The desired outcome one is so critical. It's your North Star for that meeting and the prep that you do before the meeting to understand what that desired outcome is so critical because it is the navigation then for the whole meeting. So it doesn't go off track. And I know you're going to touch on those in your follow on takeaways, but I couldn't agree more with Mamie there. Desired outcome 
so critical. And so, as you said as well, people can then go, well, if that's the desired outcome, I probably shouldn't be in that meeting because I have nothing to add to that particular one. It made me laugh in it. Desired outcome is a bit like our series one and series two of this podcast, because I think of what we do as foundational to helping people have a better day at work. I actually think getting to a desired outcome for your meeting is foundational to everything else that's going to happen in that meeting. The next one, Kahal, is once you're in that meeting, being skilled around inclusive meetings. And Mamie took us through three of the elements there. I'm, on, I'm going to touch on the first one in detail, which is around paying attention to the needs of your introverts and extroverts in meetings that you're leading. And Mamie had great tips on how to help the extroverts self-regulate with gentle guidance after the meeting. Also how to respect and get the best out of introverts with pre-reading because questions without notice are not good with introverts. We know likey, Kahal. I know you (laughs) know likey likey that. I don't mind those, but I know you do not like those at all. My preference is to be prepared, have a chance to explore, think it through, have some structured contribution. That's my preference. So that was the first element of inclusive meetings, paying attention to introverts and extroverts. The other two elements that Mamie talks about are around psychological safety, achieving equal voice. And then the third one is around identity dynamics. So being aware of gender, background, caste, all of those elements. So much in both of those areas. Must read Mamie's book. The third takeaway Kahal was around what to do when meetings go off track. So simple, Mamie's advice there around simply move to asking questions, being prepared with the questions you're going to ask to bring things back on track, not being worried about interrupting. So saying, I'm so sorry to interrupt. I'm going to need some help to understand how this conversation links back to our desired outcome are the words there because you might not have understood but if it's not linked then can we please put a pin on it and come back to that with actions later so having those lists of questions that you're going to ask to pull meetings back on track such a simple frame it makes it seem so much more achievable and doable so those are my three takeaways Kahala the more broadly I love the concept from Mamie, that organizations need a strategy on productivity. Organizations need a strategy on collaboration. And meetings are just a part of that. And to think about having really good meetings, it's more than diary management. Thinking separately about the need for uninterrupted time for deep work, that's one need around productivity. And then with collaboration, having really good meetings, it's one part of it. They were great takeaways in it. And I love the way you framed it around the almost the beginning, middle and end of a meeting, because it is a cycle, a meeting in a way, the prep beforehand, the getting in there and the action of it, and then the takeaways and the making sure that things happen. How many conversations have we had in hallways in it about meetings? I can just see the amount of times we've come out of meetings going, oh, Jesus, that went totally off track. Oh my God. 
he took over. We have to do something about that the next time. This happens to all of us guys. You know, Annette and I are not experts here in running great meetings. We try to be better at them every day, don't we, Annette? <laughs> I, mean, I have got so much to learn and so many things to practice and try uh, out. It's hard work, right? Because human beings are human beings. You could do lots of prep and you're still going to have something that's going to Didn't derail it. Didn't see that it. coming. Didn't <laughs> see that coming. You're yeah. like, geez, what just happened? Your takeaways were great. A few other little points for me. Meetings aren't for everything. I thought that was really important, right? Mm. You know, and that's something I could, could learn. Could have been an email. Yeah. And that's something I've certainly learned over the years. I used to like getting my teams together, but sometimes I would even go, you know what, probably didn't need all of them here to hear this update. Mm. And I loved her tip about sometimes as a manager, your job is maybe to not use these meetings as an update forum for you. I thought that was important. I've sat in a lot of meetings myself where I'm giving a two minute update and then I'm sitting there for four hours while other people are giving updates. And I probably am interested, even if I was to put my company hat on, I'm interested in 20 to 20 percent of it. But a lot of it's too detailed for what you maybe is a good use of your time. So I think that that was a very important point that Mamie made. I would say my best advice I often give people is look at how your meetings are run. If you are the leader or even if you're in a team raising your hand to say, I think we could do better here. They take up a lot of time. If they're not efficient and they're not effective, they're a waste of time. It's such a fundamental space. And you know what, Annette? Meetings can actually be fun once you get them right. I mean, I've had a lot of fun with my teams over the years in meetings. If you can get them right and you have a charter and you kind of go, this is how we run them, you can leave space for a little bit of fun because it's bringing people together. And I think, you know, in these times where people are working from home more, having the foundations go, well, let's actually get our meetings into a good place. Let's understand how we want to run them. And then that can lead on to, well, then should we come into the office for a Wednesday meeting? You have to do a bit of the work up front because no one's going to want to come in for a meeting where it's a download. If it's going to be CowWAM. <laughs> if it's going to be CowWAM, if it's going to be continuing on with work already mentioned, I'd rather continue to stay at home and mention my work from home. <laughs> anyway, I think you get the point, everyone. Annette and I, meetings, so foundational, very important to get them right. We are learning ourselves on this, but Mamie really helped us today. And as I said, the book, Momentum, Creating Effective, Engaging and Enjoyable Meetings. It's a great book. And Mamie has a podcast as well called The Modern Manager Podcast, which is a good listen. So thank you, Annette, for that. It is time for our listeners question. This week's question is from Elizabeth. And actually, Elizabeth is a friend of a friend. And she shared with me very recently part of her own career journey, which is kind of all tied up with her family. As a result, and what I mean by that is one of her kids was unwell and she took some time out. She's been out of the workforce essentially for 15 years. And she, prior to that, had senior roles in cultural transformation. And she's now kind of struggling to know where and how to start her job search again. I tell you, Annette, this was a tough one because I was chatting to this lady, Elizabeth, and she's so lovely. I'd never met her before. Elizabeth, I think my overall feeling when I first met her was, God, this is a very confident lady who has obviously had some really great jobs and was was talking to me a lot about her careers in cultural transformation, etc. And then when we got to the piece of having that 
extended period off, which she doesn't regret. One of her kids had been unwell and that was her main focus, which I just totally respected. She was now at a point where she wanted to do something, but the confidence was not there. And I was like going, oh, my God, you go back into a job a week. I predict after one week, you'd be like, things haven't changed that much. I'm back. OK, <laughs> there's stuff to do. <laughs> I was saying it's the one week rule. I'm telling you, 15 years out, one week in, you're going to be like, OK, different technology, maybe, but the issues are the same. This is a question we haven't had for a while. I thought I'd share it because I think we should really try and help Elizabeth here. You and I have heard these a lot and we haven't mentioned them on the show before. What's your initial thoughts on Elizabeth here? I know a lot of women who have had similar experiences in taking extended periods out of the workforce. So even when you get to three years or maybe five years, there's a perception that you are out of the workforce, that you're not up to date and you're thinking you're not across what's happening and you haven't been in a job for five years, what could you possibly bring to it? And my thoughts there are, Kahal, is that Elizabeth has been managing her child's health, which would have been, by the sounds of things, extremely stressful, extremely challenging. And she would have been running multiple project streams to care for her child. She has been busy, at capacity, coordinating, doing a lot of things. There's something there about not buying into the discounting just because you weren't in a paid job, therefore you, you've lost touch. So I think that's dispel that myth. And Kahala, as you know, I'm a huge fan of Bill Cowan's book, Building a winning career. And Bill has worked with over a thousand executives, graduates, mid-career managers through situations where they have been made redundant or they have lost their job, been fired, where they have had a break from the workforce for their own illness or illness of a child, or they've been running their own business that may not have been successful. And Bill has a process. It works for everyone. And I think from what Elizabeth's been through, should be more than halfway there about starting off with spending time on deep self-reflection, undertaking different tests, really reflecting on yourself. Who are you? What are your needs? What are your passions? What are you like? And getting that all of that writing reflection done, building that into your two-minute pitch, reflecting all of that into an update of your resume and your LinkedIn. And then you're ready. Start practicing with a loving critic, a friend, practicing your pitch to network, to seek advice on your planned career path. So you've done that work to understand what your needs are, what you're good at. You've listened to those little messages about where you might have envy in someone's job or you might wish to do that. Well, go after that dream. Start with that networking, getting that advice and meeting with people. Following that process, 80% of jobs are in the hidden job market and you find them through your network. People who are going to refer you on with a good word to talk to someone next about and get some advice about your career path. And then you get into the mix for the job that you want to do. So if that's if Elizabeth wants to go back into the workforce, it might be that she wants to start her own business potentially on sharing her learnings 
maybe helping others who've been through what she's going through. It sounds like Mamie's business is there, that she's went from the family business into other organizations, seeing that huge need there and going, okay, well, I can build a business around this particular need as well. And sometimes that's another path back into the workforce of going into some consultancy or some advisory or some contracting, writing a paper, writing an article, doing some research, attending conferences. So being active in the industry while you're searching for a job as well. I know that Bill's work is fantastic and we do have even some details on Bill's work in one of our newsletters as well. If you're interested, do sign up to the newsletter. But Annette did share even in in Bill's episode, it might be good for Elizabeth to go back and listen to that episode, which we had with Bill. I think for Elizabeth, my thing is you think too much that you're out too long and that you're going to be totally out of the loop. Honestly, I call it the one week back rule. And I tell you, most people I've spoken to, I know quite a few people who've gone back to work and who I've helped with at different times. And I'm telling you, Annette, nine out of 10 times, I'm actually going to say 10 out of 10 times, they say to me after the first week back, they usually say, oh, my God, I forgot what it's like to have a schedule and have to get up in the morning and be on calls and meetings all day. But nearly all of them say to me after the week, I kind of thought it was going to be way worse than it is. But actually, it's fine. People are still people. Problems are still problems. <laughs> and problems come around. You might have solved a problem 10 years ago, right? And then new management come in. And you come in and go, oh, God, it's all gone back to the way it was. And you just have to start again, which means it wasn't sustainable what you built in the first place. So you, the next time around, you're going, right, I have to do this again. But I think to the point here that we're making, Elizabeth, is you have skills. You had great skills until you took time out to, to have your family and to deal with the various things. Those skills haven't gone away. And one of the things Elizabeth did say to me, Annette, is that she knows lots of people like herself who she has worked with, who are very talented. And actually, in some ways, she used these words, are on the scrap heap. And I go, no, I hate that people think they're on the scrap heap because they shouldn't be, because there are such talented women and men out there who've had great careers, have taken a step back to do something to progress their families' lives or whatever it is. And I just think the language we use is critical here. They're not on the scrap heap. They have made a decision to do something to further their family or their lives. That doesn't mean their skills are their past their use by date. They're not in the slightest. Elizabeth mentioned about feeling she'd lost her confidence potentially. We have our Better at Work episode 21 where we talk with Professor Ian Robertson about how to be confident, the science of confidence, all the tips there around why confidence is important and, and how to build it or, in Elizabeth's case, rebuild it. And Annette, you're not going to believe it, but Elizabeth also had a, some advice for me. Tell me more, Kahal. What was the advice? Elizabeth knew that we have a baby. I mentioned that they had had some uh, challenges and health issues for one of their kids. And she said, look, you know what? Always keep asking questions when you're not happy with what you're being told about your child's health. And what she said to me was she was being told everything is fine. 
she was imagining it, but she said, I know my child better than anyone. And I knew something was wrong. And I kept asking questions and I kept pushing. And if she hadn't, they wouldn't have found out what they found out. She said that would be her advice to me. Really wise. I absolutely agree with Elizabeth. From my experience as a parent, I've had a few times where I've been guided by one of Finn's teachers around his dyslexia. We didn't get that diagnosis until he'd been at school over three years because the advice was everyone learns on a continuum. He's fine. Just be patient. Don't put pressure on. And we knew that there was something getting in the way of his reading, but we weren't experts on dyslexia. So, you know, if we had asked more questions, maybe we would have been able to get him the support that he needed, you know, his first year of school rather than his fourth year of school. So I think that's really wise and sound advice from Elizabeth there. A lovely lady with a very real question that hopefully, Elizabeth, we've given you some real answers. And as Annette said, some really great resources that you can use, such as Bill Cowan and, of course, Professor Ian Robertson, when we did the confidence episode with him. So go check that out. And Elizabeth, all the best in your search for your next chapter in your career. And I'm sure it'll be a great one. I got to meet someone called Vicky and Vicky is a huge fan of the show. It was so lovely to hear that she has used a lot of our advice to um, start to look at a new career for her outside of the civil service. I met her at the weekend and it was so sweet that she loves the episodes, taken the advice and is off for her first mentor chat today with someone who's done the same, who's moved from the civil service to industry or corporate career. So Vicky, thank you for uh, coming and chatting to me. That was so sweet. And I wish you and Annette, I'm sure the same. We wish you the best of luck as you go on your journey to have a better day at work by having a career, a different career. And good luck with that mentor chat today. Annette, I drove the poor lady mad when I met her because I was giving her advice on what to say in this discussion today, as I'm sure you can imagine it. But how cool is that from Vicky? Kahal, that has made my day. That's what we're here to do, help people bring everything that we want to learn and become better at and share it more widely. And hearing from listeners like Vicky that it's helping, that's wonderful. I'm thrilled to hear that. So good. So thank you, Annette, um, for all of your help as we do this show every few weeks to help people have a better day at work. How nice. I had goosebumps when she was telling me about all the shows she'd listened to and how she'd used um, our resources to help her get her thoughts together. Very best of luck, Vicky, as you go on this journey and good luck. And Annette, of course, we want to hear from more people. If there's anyone else out there that has a challenge at work or is just thinking about life in a different way and you want some advice. Annette and I are not experts. We're not psychologists. Still learning as well. Exactly. So if you do have a question for us, do let us know. You can contact us via LinkedIn or you can message us on Instagram. Kahal, we've been talking about, we'd also love to hear from our listeners about something that they would like to share about what has yes. helped them be better at work. Drop us a line. 
Absolutely. And we've only got a few more episodes in this season. We've got some great ones to come, but we definitely have room for some more questions before the end of this season. And also, I am back in the UK now. And so I am, this is part of my own being uh, better at work. I am offering my services for free for anyone that would like me to moderate or facilitate discussions in their companies or wherever. Give me a call or a message. Very happy to do it. I'm very excited. A few people have reached out already because we put it on our newsletter this week, Annette. So I've had a few people saying, can you come and do our town hall and interview someone on stage and facilitate the day? And I said, absolutely, I'd love to do that. Um, so if you have got that in your company organization, I would be more than happy to help. It's getting me back out there in the UK. So I would really, really appreciate that. So let me know. And Annette, you've seen me in action before. I'm not the worst at this. I can guarantee Kaha will bring energy, intellect, fun, drive and momentum. Give him a call. So that's it for this episode of Better at Work. Thank you very much to Mamie for coming on the show and telling us all to how to have better meetings. Thank you also to Elizabeth for sharing her very I suppose, real question and challenge of going back into work after a long period off. And thank you to Vicky as well for sharing such lovely feedback on how she's enjoying the show. And Annette, of course, thank you so much to you for joining us from Melbourne and enjoy your dinner there. I know Annette's about to. What are you cooking, Annette, tonight? We're having otolenghi. We're having grilled salmon with soba noodle salad. I've got to go and pick a lot of basil leaves off the stalks and coriander. (laughs) (laughs) as well. It's a bit fussy, but it's worth the effort. Thank you so much for having me, Kahal. I really love being part of Better at Work, one of the highlights of my week. And thanks so much to everyone listening in. Keep the feedback coming. It does help. We do put it all into the planning about what we're going to cover next, don't we, Kahal? Oh, we do. We do. So thank you so much, Annette. Enjoy that uh, beautiful meal tonight there. So thank you so much, everyone, for joining us this week. Um, As I said, we are coming towards the end of season two. So some great episodes to come, some really big guests to finish out the season. So we hope you'll continue to join us as we all aim to be better at work. And uh, we will talk to you very, very soon and have a great week. Talk soon. Bye bye. Bye, Annette. Bye, Kahal. Bye bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Better at Work with me, Carl Quinlan. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and rate, review or subscribe as this helps others find the podcast. For more practical tips, simple tools and ideas on how to aim for betterness, head on over to betteratwork.com.au and sign up for our newsletter. Until next time, watch out for those work jerks and keep reaching for better.